evening, everyone. Thank you for joining. <coughs> so today's share was donate was dedicated by Jill Werber, and this is in honor of by Aliza Werber, and this is in honor of her father, who just passed away um, about two weeks ago. Uh, his name is Faival Avigdor Ben Moshe. May his neshama have a very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May this be his chus for his soul. And um, there shouldn't be any more pain and sorrow by that mishpacha in your family. And that Be'ezus Hashem, very soon, we should all be reunited as we're expecting and hoping and waiting uh, the coming of Mashiach, literally, literally, momentarily. Thank you for that dedication, dedicated both the Shear and all the vehicles of dissemination of the Shear on YouTube, on Facebook, and so on and so forth. So may this be a great schus for your father. Okay. Achshav, now um, let us start tonight's class. I also would like to mention schus Rafur Shalema for those who need a Rafur Shalema. In the corona or any other thing, my dear friend Avram Adn Ben Yente, my brother-in-law Adn Elio Ben Leia, David Ben Shoshana, Rabbi Korf, Rafal Pinchas Ben, I think it's Chaya uh, Rivka, should have a refuah shalema, and Obateich Shar Choli Yisrael. Okay, so this week the Parsha is a double Torah portion, Parsha's Achade Mois and Kedoshim. And uh, it's also in the days of Sphira Sa'aymer. And we're in the midst of a pandemic, which seems to be Baruch Hashem easing up a little bit. And let us hope that uh, very, very soon the whole thing will be over. But we're really hoping for that the all this should lead to the complete and full revelation of Mashiach, the coming of Mashiach, the revealing of Mashiach in this world, and, lay it, and let it be now, now, and now. Okay. Um, I do want to address the, the ramifications of this um, situation, of this uh, pandemic uh, that has had on the Jewish community, uh, being that it is the time of Sefirah Sa'aymer, and during Sefirah Sa'aymer, we know it was a time that about 2,000 years ago, there was a plague. And a plague that impacted the Jewish people in a very, very hurtful and a very painful way. Um, it wasn't a global pandemic, or rather, I don't have any proof to say it was a global pandemic, quite the contrary from certain of the uh, commentators that I'm going to share with you, it seems like it hit only one particular group. Uh, in the case that we have right now, this is something that has been impacting and affecting the world at large. But we're, we're, I think there is lessons to be learned and inspiration to be gained is in the particular element of that this thing is having an impact on the Jewish world in a very, very painful and in a very um, 
In other words, we've taken a hit. The Jewish world took a big hit in, the, in this virus. And this is not chas v'shalom over here in any way, shape, or form for me to try to explain why people, why there was loss of life and why there was pain and suffering. What I will, what I will say without any shadow of a doubt is that it's relating to the unfolding of the coming of Mashiach to the world in terms of the global elements of it and how it impacted the entire world and I'm sure all the details of it as well that it's connected to Mashiach, I have no shadow of a doubt, although that does not in any way make it something that um, we can tolerate. Uh, we don't tolerate it in the sense that we cry out to the Eberster and say, we do, please, please put an end to this now and let all those that are still ill and all those that lost life Families that lost life be comforted and there should be a put an end to all the suffering. That's for sure. And it doesn't justify it that Mashiach is coming. Mashiach could come in Hashem's infinite, infinite abilities. Mashiach could come and we should expect him to come with kindness and with mercy and not through pandemics and uh, violence and things like that, which sometimes people do quote as, as preliminary things for the coming of Mashiach, we speakers, rabbis, people that are communicating to the world, whether to our small communities or to larger communities on the internet and so on and so forth, should not, God forbid, in any way threaten and talk about these horrors that can come because that itself evokes negativity and it brings upon, it brings catastrophe, it shouldn't happen. And even if one's intention is for tshuva, the Jewish people, as the Obabach Rebbe said, did tshuva already. And everybody's trying to be better and everybody's trying to do good. And we don't need any more of this. So we shouldn't say that. And there's no way in any way, shape or form that I am saying even a tiny, tiny, tiny bit that this has something to do with certain behaviors that need to be changed. What I do want to do, however, is do connect a parallel just because it is the days of Sfirah in which the sages have told us that the work that we need to do during Sefirah Sa'omer is to be more sensitive to each other and more respectful to others and to increase in our achdos. It's actually this week's Torah portion. In this week's Torah portion, Achrei Mos Kedoshim, you have the great grand mitzvah, which is considered the, one of the major centrals. And according to Hillel, this is the center of all, this is the cornerstone of all of Judaism foundation of all of Judaism is you should love your fellow as yourself, the mitzvah of Avas Yisrael, to love Jews, to love that we have a real love for each other and that that is also Rabbi Akiva says that this is the great principle in Torah so this is very important because of the Torah portion it's also because it's the time of Svira, which is a time that we have to do a tikkun on a lack of Avas Yisrael, a lack of respect and honoring of another person, which brought the pandemic that happened many years ago. And therefore, an inspiration regarding increasing love and increasing unity and increasing respect for each other and cohesiveness and togetherness is an appropriate thing to talk about. And the fact that, like it says in Rashi, in this week in the beginning of the parasha, 
whenever you have a lesson and the lesson is detached from immediate life, from immediate consequences in our lives, uh, it doesn't have such influence, it doesn't have such impact. But when Rashi says, as a doctor who tells his patient that uh, behave yourself, these are, you should follow the diet and the certain sleeping arrangements that Rashi says, because it shouldn't happen to you what happened to so and so, so Rashi says, this this is a zeros. This has greater impact on a person. So I'm not backtracking on what I just said, that it is not good unless we're a prophet and we're told directly by God, but it's not the right thing to evoke chas v'shalom judgments on the Jewish people by saying that if you're not going to behave, you're going to be punished with big calamities. And maybe this was a derech up to the Baal Shem Tov. This is a Hasidic center and a Hasidic podium. And the Baal Shem Tov taught another way. The way you bring people closer to Judaism is by uplifting them, by showing them how much Hashem loves them, and how much Hashem cares for them, and so on and so forth. So I'm not backtracking on that. No, we should not say that. What I am saying, however, is, is that when we are deriving a lesson from something that happened in the time of Sefirah Sa'omer, and do we have already an occurrence that has happened? Not only happened, but we're in the midst of a crisis, which has a similarity in the fact that it is a plague and that it is impacting the Jewish community. So regarding to the tikkun, that when we increase in certain behaviors, it has the power to eliminate and to put an end to it, even if miraculously. So that's what I want to evoke. The encouragement and the inspiration that each and every one of us should do whatever we can to, to increase our friendship and our love for each other. And I do have to say, that from the signs of Mashiach that there are in the world, that we've talked about so meant much of the signs of Mashiach that have been... Um, that the world has been witnessing over the last couple of years, the greatest sign probably to date is what happened just over the last few days in which in, in a very big way in various communities in the world, rabbis and, and groups of people that had different opinions and rightfully so, people had different ways, as we're gonna talk about today of looking at things, decided to put an end to their differences Meaning to say, not that they all agree to the same ideologies and ideas, but to put away to the put away with the fighting and the ignoring or the disassociation which has happened as a result of people having different opinions and different ideas, and to cast that to the side and unite with brotherly love with Jews, even Jews who think different than them. In other words, the tikkun that we're talking about now people were doing this and are doing this, this is the most awesome sign of the coming. I would say two things. It's a sign of the coming of Mashiach because I believe that the, something, the way it's happening, even though we can say the inspiration comes about because of the idea of Achremos, as I mentioned earlier, after the death of so many special people that have passed away and we can't stand by anymore and say we're not going to do anything. And obviously people in times like this realize that 
you know what, I can't continue blaming others. I have to look into my own self and see what do I need to do in my life that re- requires a tikkun. And this is what's fueling this change. I agree that that definitely has a part to it, but I think this is much deeper. It's because Moshiach, his energy is becoming more palpable, more real in the world, that that unity that's going to be when Moshiach comes is, is taking aim or having impact on people that until now were so stubborn in their ways and would not have it in any way, good people, good people in both, in, in, in both communities or I'm, I'm talking about actually very, various communities which had splits regarding the same differences of, uh, of how they approach their uh, connection to their Yiddishkeit, to their avoda, and yet they have decided to put their differences aside and unify as Jews with love, that's Messianic, and that's Moshiachtik. And two things, that itself should hasten. That is a result, a derivative from the Giyula, and the fact that we've caught on and allowed this powerful impact, to, to, to this powerful energy to impact us and to take and to react to it and hopefully not, not, com- not be satisfied with the steps that have been taken till now, but to increase this exponentially, let this itself be the final straw that breaks the camel's back of exile and allows the ge'ula to happen. So there's a lot of good news. And I'm giving this sheer today from a place of great joy and great happiness that this is taking place. And I really feel that this is a subject we really need to discuss today. It's interesting if we want to find uh, the connection, the connections, you know, we're talking about which plague am I talking about? I mean, other than what's happening now, what plague am I talking about that happened 2,000 years ago? So we're familiar that between Pesach and Shavuos, there was a plague that hit the students of Rabbi Akiva in which 24,000 students passed away in a period of about four weeks, must have been something similar to what's going on now, some kind of a virus, some kind of a something that has hit them in a point, okay, the Gemara says they died from a sickness called Ascara, but that, and that's actually also similar to what is going on, which is a breathing, it's something that affects a person in their mouth and then a swelling of their, their a constriction that happens in the throat, it's literally, similar to the, the way this virus is impacting, but Rahman al-Atzlan over there, 24,000 people died. And the Gemara says the reason why that happened was because they did not give respect one to each other. Which I'd like to read that Gemara to you in a few moments and analyze it. But we can't ignore the fact that one of the names of this virus, which has same nature, and that it, it brings about a, a, a clogging of the breathing um, of one's ability to breathe and, and it destroys the lungs and so on and so forth that that is it's actually called COVID which COVID is pretty close to the word COVID so you have COVID and COVID similar to what I was speaking about a while ago that COVID is also related to the word David and that's the elements so you say so can you make up your mind, what's the situation that's happening? So what I want to say is as follows. Everything has layers upon layers and upon layers and upon layers. And there is, there is, there is no 
one explanation or one um, 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 insight into something that's happening. There's obviously many, many lessons because this thing is impacting on so many different levels. So there is even, and even, and the way Torah, the way Torah has pshat, rem, is drush, and sod. And according to the Arizal, every element of Torah has 600,000 interpretations of pshat and remez. So we need to analyze things every week differently in accordance to the lessons of the Torah that we're getting that week. The period of time that we're in right now is calling for us to increase in our kavayzelazeh, and that means our respect and honor towards each other. And all this inspiration comes from a plague that happened 2,000 years ago when people did not, at this period, where people did not <coughs> have respect one to each other. And it has a similar name. And the plague has a certain similarity. So I think this should give us food for thought to recognize that we need to make a tikkun in it and to celebrate that the tikkun is happening and Baruch Hashem and to increase and each and every one of us shouldn't think it's someone else's problem but it's something that every single one of us has to make a change in this and what we're going to talk about today perhaps is the most challenging of challenges it's probably an expectation which is it borders on the impossible Yet, as Jews, we're expected to behave in an impossible manner, to achieve the impossible. And in general, Jews are not here to do the possible things. The possible things for that, you don't need a yid. A Jew is here in this world to do the impossible stuff. What is impossible? The impossibility is the ability to be very strong-minded, very devoted, very passionate, very driven, and determined to the point of fanaticism, to the point of a complete immersion in that which you're doing, and for that you need to be 100% certain that what you are doing is right and what God wants of you. And at the same time, you have to be able to embrace and love and respect people that see your way of what you're doing as the incorrect way and that their way, which is pretty different than what you're doing as the right way, and they're just as passionate about it. So you're asking of me something that's totally impossible. To be, complete, to be completely true to what I'm doing, one with what I'm doing, and yet love in a real way and make room and space and join together with people that have complete other ideas. This has been something that has sadly harmed the Jewish people for thousands of years. For Mashiach to come, we have to make that tikkun. And the tikkun is being made, history is being made now. Over the last 48 hours, history is being made in this very, very idea that people that have not been tolerating each other are now coming to a state of this tikkun. But how do you do that? How is it achieved? So let's take a look at the story. It's interesting that this is a, a subject that for so many years, I'm giving a Parsha class, and this would have been, should have been something that I could have discussed and should have discussed, and every year it came to my mind 
that I should have uh, learned and studied this Gemara with the, <laughs> at the Shear. And yet I've always chosen another subject and I didn't, and I didn't go with this one. <laughs> and I think it's because it was waiting for this year. Because it's, it's, it has a whole different flavor. It has a whole different taste to it now because of it being so negeya bedavar. Okay. So let's begin. The Talmud tells us as follows. The Gemara tells us as follows. Um, the Gemara is talking about a pasuk in Kehelas. In Kehelas it says, Baboyker in the morning, Zara ezarach, plant your seeds in the morning, and in the evening, al tanach yodecha. Don't put down your hands. Don't leave go. That means morning work, toil, don't get lazy in the afternoon. Continue. So the Gemara sees this to mean a reference to a person's life. Baboyker in the morning means in the early years of your life. Plant, get into, do what you're doing fervently. When you get a little older and you're maturing, getting to the end of your life or to the later years in your life, don't cease. No retirement. Continue. So the Gemara has different interpretations. What does this mean? One interpretation is re- this is referring to having children. Have children when you're young and uh, continue having children when you're getting older as well. Or it's referring to other things. But one of the explanations is uh, that this is referring to uh, Gemara says if you were married when you were young, get married again when you're old, if for whatever reason the marriage did not last. Um, then the Gemara brings a story like this. Again, this is a Masechtas Yevamist of Samach Beis Amad Beis. Rabbi Akiva, Oimer Rabbi Akiva says, Learn Torah when you're young. If you learn Torah when you were young, you should continue learning Torah when you're old. If you had students when you were young, you had a big yeshiva and you stood a lot of students, and now you figure it's time to retire. I've built my yeshiva already, I've done already. You should have talmidim in your, in your, when you age. And he brings this pasuk. In the morning plant your seeds. And the, in order to support this, the Gemara says like this, Amru, it is said, Rabbi Akiva had 12,000 peers of students. 12,000 peers, peers too, makes a 24,000 student. Migeves ad Antipuras. And the students were from a place called Geves until Antipurus. Where exactly this is, I don't know. In the Medrash, this, this, this passage of the Gemara, this idea, the story, not the exact wording, is also quoted in Midrash in two places. One on, on this Pasuk in Kehelas, Kehelas Yud Aleph, in Perak, in Kehelas, uh, chapter 10, verse 10, I think, verse, chapter 11, verse 10. And um, the other one, it's in by Avram Avinu. Because the Gemara is related in Pasha's in Bereshis, in Pasha's Chayasara, where it says that Avram Avinu went and he married a woman after Sarah passed away. He married a woman, he, her name was Keturah, which is, as we know, is Hagar, right? So the Gemara brings this pasuk, because Avram Avinu fulfilled the mitzvah. 
He married when he was young and he continued getting married again when he was older. So the veer, so the Medrash brings this in, in the, those two places and each time it's a little different. So in those two, in, in, the, in, in Bereshis, it says not from Geves until Antipuras, it says from Akko until Antipuras. So maybe Geves is somewhere next to Akko. So that's where his students were. The Kulon Meisu Beperek Echad. And they all passed away in one short period of time. And the Gemara is going to tell us when this was. One, one time came and they all died. And the Gemara says the reason was. Because they did not <coughs> behave with the proper respect one to each other. And the world was desolate. The world was destroyed. You don't. This was the entire Torah. 24,000 students. This was the entire future of the Jewish people. Rabbi Akiva was the leader. And the grand rabbi. And these are his students that are going to take on the Torah for the next generation and so on and so forth. And all of them died in a plague. And with them went the Torah. Because it was Torah Shemal Peh. They didn't even have really a book stand. People all recorded things in memory. Gone. A destruction in the world. Achaba Rabbi Akiva. So Rabbi Akiva relocated. He didn't give up. Can you imagine how devastated he was? He did not throw in the towel and say, I've done mine. Let someone else care for the world. I've built up and look what Hashem has done. Taken it all, ripped it all away from me and therefore I'm done. He didn't say that. He traveled to the south. The Shanalahem and he taught gathered new students, and these are the ones, Reb Meir, Reb Yehuda, Reb Yaisi, Reb Shimon, Reb Elazar ben Shamu. I gathered a handful of students, literally a handful, five students. In the other two places in the Midrash, in, in um, Midrash uh, Kahelas and in Midrash um, uh, Bereshis, it mentioned seven students. I didn't uh, pay attention to who are the other two that are mentioned over there, but here it's mentioned five students. And he rebuilt the world, the Torah, with these five students. They were the ones who re-established the Torah based on one of these five is Rip Shimon, Rip Shimon Bar Yochai. Yeah, at that time they rebuilt the Torah. Tana, Kulam, so now when did they die? Kulam Meisu Mi Pesach Adatzeres. All of them died from Pesach until Shavuos. That's the period. And we know, that's one of the reasons why it has been instituted that the period between Pesach and Shavuos is a period of mourning, semi-mourning, for all the generations, because they passed away, and hopefully that we can make the rectification of what is needed. So we should take it to heart. We don't listen to music. We don't get married uh, during this period. Now here it says from Pesach to Shavuos. The Meiri says, and then this is brought also in, in Tur and then in Shulchan Arach, that actually they stopped dying on Lag Ba'omer. They passed away until Lag Ba'omer. From Pesach until Lag Ba'omer, which means a, 30, a 32 day period in which they, were, which, which they died. The Maral says that Kavoid 
is Gematria 32. The Maral and his Chedusha HaGadus on this, on this Gemara says the word Kavod is Gematria 32. So for 32 days, they, were, they died because of their lack of Kavod, of honor and respect to one each other. They died a very harsh and a very, very painful way. They passed away through this Askara disease, which I said earlier is one which stops a person from being able to breathe, and that was the way they died. Okay, this is the Gemara. So why... Why this period of time? Why is it between Pesach and Shavuos? So the Marsha says, one of the Marsha was one of the great commentators on, on Gemara, particularly on the part of the Gemara that is Midrashic, the Agadata. So the Marsha says that this was in order that it should be known that it was by divine providence. Because the time that they died is there should really be the most, the healthiest time of the year. Physically, spring is coming. The world is in a very healthy state. Everything is in a state of revival. Everything is in a state of growth. He brings the Gemara Masech to Shabbos that the Gemara says that this is a time of great health. I didn't look up the Gemara, but the Gemara, something that this is a time of, uh, it's a healthy period, a time when people are less sick. The flu season is over. The winter is over. People are, are healthier. Now we also know, a little bit more mystical, the month of Iyar stands for Ani Hashem Roifecha, I am God your healer. It's a time of both physically and from a spiritual perspective, it's a time when the powers of refuah, of healing, of good health is, uh, is very uh, available or present. So this is a time that People should not be dying. Maybe every flu season, people passed away. But now is a time that, the, that, the, that there shouldn't be any deaths. The fact that they died during this period of time was on purpose to show them that this was by divine providence, and this was a form of a, call it a punishment, and so on and so forth, that they needed, they, that, that they should be alerted, that this is what, that there's something wrong. And that's why they passed away then. The Maral also says the same idea. He says that that is the time, that is the healthiest time. Well, let me see over here, yeah. He says, Amasha meisu mi Pesach adatzeres, Afsha azmanu yoiser tov mi kol azmanem. Springtime, the time that is the best of all times. Im kozeh meisu, they also died with a very painful death. Misa Meshuna, it's a horrific way of dying. That they should be, it should be known that they sinned. So you shouldn't say that this was a natural death. And then he goes on and he actually explains some other interesting ideas of, uh, of why they passed away during that time. One of the things that he says are interesting is he says that Kavoid is associated with light. He brings a pasuk, The world, the earth, was, lumin, was, was illuminant or radiant with his, with his honor, with his covet. 
So covet is associated with light, with radiance. The Yedua, he says, So the main time of radiance is between Pesach and Shavuos. That's the time, and that's why the month of Eor, the second month, is actually referred to as Chodesh in Tanakh. It's referred to as Chodesh Haziv, the Chodesh of the rays. There's a lot of sunlight and rays of sun. It's very, maybe, maybe it's, a, it's a very clear time of the year. And I'm not exactly sure what makes, I mean, the summer you can say there's just as light, as much light as then, but the, it, it's, Maybe it's because it's after the rainy season, after the winter, we begin enjoying it. I'm not exactly sure what defines this time as be the time of ziv. And if it's the time of ziv, ziv, rays, that's the same idea of covid. And since they violated the covid, there was a blemish in the covid, it was for that reason that they passed away during this time. That's what he explains. Um, but let's perhaps see uh, another explanation. Because according to all of this, it seems like uh, they passed away because of extreme judgment and punishment. Now it does also say, to get a little bit more Kabbalistically, it actually does say that this man between Pesach and Shavuos is generally more of a time of judgment. It's a time of dinim. Why is it a time of judgment? So in Shulchan Aruch it's brought, Hashem judges the world on Pesach, Hashem judges on grain. On Shavuos, Hashem is judging the world for fruit trees, for the trees. So um, from, from Pesach to Shavuos is this period of time of judgment. So since it's a time of Gevura and it's a time of judgment, we also know that Nisan itself is the month of Chesed, downward energy, Iyar is the opposite. It's the month corresponding to the attribute of Gvura. So even though it doesn't say they only died in the month of Iyar, actually we know that there are people who keep the 33 days of mourning, they start from Chrosh Chodesh Iyar, and they go till three days before Shavuos. So according to that opinion, actually it only happened in the month of Iyar. Whatever, whatever we're going to work that out, when you count exactly the 33 days, or the 32 days, but... The idea is that, that Iyar is associated more with an idea of Gvura and of Din. That's what the Alter Rebbe of Shneir Zalman of Liadi says in his Mimer, that this is a time of Din, and because it's a time of Din, the, the judgments took a hold of them. The, the Rebbe has a very interesting explanation on the fact that on the reason these people passed, these great men, they passed away, which actually minimizes it, minimizes this, their sin and the severity and the punishment of it, but it has to do with, with the time that they died. They died between Pesach and Shavuos. Because he asks a simple question. It says that the people, nahagu 24,000 students were not, they were all students of Rabbi Akiva, but they were not, they didn't, they, their, their interpersonal relationship was not the way it should be. They were lacking in their respect one for each other. The problem over here is when did that problem start? 
Rabbi Akiva, first of all, did not get a new flow of students in one. He can say like this. Rabbi Akiva was a, was a teacher for I don't know how many years. He lived very long, Rabbi Akiva. In the end, he was, they murdered him, the Romans. But he had a long life. And okay, he started when he was 40. I don't know, for 40 years he was teaching. I'm not exactly sure. 60 years. I'm not sure exactly how long Rabbi Akiva taught. But he had his yeshiva open. And it wasn't like this is a new batch of students. The old students, and suddenly one group came in and they were just quarrelsome. They didn't get along with each other. They thought, these are the 24, these are all of the students. So we're dealing with an accumulation of students that have been studying by Rabbi Akiva. So suddenly what happened? One day, a, a, a fight broke out and everybody was disrespectful to each other. What happened at a certain point? A simple question. It evoked God's wrath and suddenly... So you have to say that their conduct was long-term. So why did they just happen to die just at that time? I mean, you can argue and you can say that, that you know, it reached a certain point when you couldn't, you couldn't, Hashem could not be quiet about it anymore and he had to react. Can we find a better explanation? What triggered the passing of the students of Rebbe Akiva to die dafka at that time. So the explanation is like this. It's because at that time they actually reached the number of 24,000. It says they had 24,000 students. Yeah, Rabbi Akiva was, his yeshivas were growing. And at that time, they reached 24,000. So what? So there was a Gemara. This is not a Gemara in the Babylonian Talmud. This is a Gemara in the Jerusalem Talmud. Talmud Yerushalmi, Masech Sanhedrin. The Gemara says over there, a, a, another tragic story what happened with students of a great rabbi. And this is the student's at a later time, the students of Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. So we're dealing with a period probably of about 70, 80 years later. So it says over there, the Gemara says that uh, there were 24 Krainois or Kyrios. There's two Girsais in the Gemara. Kyrios means uh, more like a Kiryam, means like a town. Um, or Kroinois means wagons. Of students of Rebbe, Rebbe Huda Anasi, that went to be Makadish the Chodesh, to go see the new moon in Lud. In the city of Lud, they went out to inspect, the, to, to make the new, to be able to pronounce the new moon. They have to inspect, see if, well, if you can see the moon. So they gathered together many students of Rabbi Yehuda Anasi and actually used the same number. 24, it's not saying 24,000 people, but 24 um, Kroinois. And that, again, that's how much fit into a and I'm not exactly sure. A lot. 
And I guess they all came in together, so many students, something that shocked the eye, and they died. And over there it's clear in the Gemara that they died, and it says openly in the Gemara, because of an eye in Ra, because of an evil eye. Whoever it was, was looking, someone was jealous, someone was envious, or a few people were envious. Take a look at this rabbi. Look at his students. And they looked disparagingly, they looked unfavorably, and they cast an evil eye. And that ayanara caused, and that's the way it is, there is some kind of a power of ayanara. We know that on the family of Yosef, it doesn't have impact. But ayanara is, is, has Okay, the question is how much do we have to worry about Ayan Hara? The Gemara says, if you're worried about it, that's when it impacts you. If you don't worry about it, then even if someone casts an evil, I won't harm you, but I'm not going to get into the discussion of Ayan Hara. But such a thing exists, that there is a thing of an Ayan Hara. And when there is an Ayan Hara, it can evoke judgments. And, and God forbid, it brought about that, that plague and all those students of Rebbe passed away. And the Rebbe says an interesting thing. There too it mentions 24. 24 is a number that is associated with dinim, with judgments. In the Zohar it says that there are 24 bate dinim up there in, in each realm. There are 24 courthouses. Courthouses has to do with judgments. The Lubavitcher Rebbe's father discusses this, this concept of 24 as the root of, the un, of, of judgments. And he brings also the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva that judgment took hold of them. Therefore, the Lubavitcher Rebbe wants to say that the reason they died between Pesach and Shavuos, on the, on those, or between Pesach and Lagba Omer that year, is because they act on a, because they hit the number of 24. Plus 24,000. So first of all, there was a massive amount of students and therefore there was an ayin hara on them. In addition to that is that it's possible from the Gemara's Lashon that they were between these two cities from here to here, from Akko to whatever the Gemara uses over there, the two places, means that they were actually very close together. It was a gathering. It was some kind of a gathering where all these students came together in a very visible way. And to add to that, it was, as we mentioned earlier, a time of dinim. Unlike what the Marsha says, the most the, the easiest time of the, of the year, the healthiest time of the year. It was actually a time of judgments. In the sense that between Pesach and Shavuos is a time of judgments. So you have a time of judgments, you have the idea of it being an ayin hara, you have the 24,000 students have reached that goal, and the number 24, which is a number of judgments, all this put these people in jeopardy. Ah, if they died because of that, why does the Gemara say, they didn't honor each other? So the answer to that is, that when, that for this that they didn't honor each other, which, which we're going to discuss soon, what that means, these people did not deserve to die. If they would have deserved to die, if their conduct with each other would have been ferocious, 
If their conduct would have done, it would have been completely unbefitting for such tzaddikim and such great people, then they could have died a long time ago. Again, this conduct didn't start overnight. These are students of Rabbi Akiva. Some of them have been students there for 30, 40 years. There was some kind of a subtlety. Something is wrong. Something that is not... And for that, there's no death penalty. And not God forbid in such a way that in such a short period of time, so many people will die. Problem is, it was a time of sakana. It was a time of danger. There was a sakana. What was the sakana? Now, there were various different factors that caused it to be a time of sakana. The Gemara says that in a time of sakana, when it's a time of danger anyways, then one has to be very careful from the prosecuting angel from the, from the satan. Because he'll, since there's anyways an unleashment of, of, of intense forces in the world that are wreaking havoc for whatever other reasons, then people are being judged. The Gemara says in Masechtus Menachis that in a Be'idon Rizcha, in a time when there is upsetness, for whatever reason, in heaven there is a, it's a time when, when they're not happy, when, when they're ticked off, for whatever reason. It's a time when there is a, a, a negative force up there, you have to be very careful. A person can be punished even for the lack of pursuing a mitzvah. The other Gemara is talking about tzitzis. You don't have an obligation, if you don't have a four cornered garment, you don't have an obligation to wear tzitzis. It's only if you have a full garment, you have to, you should, you have to, you can now let wear it without tzitzis, without the fringes. But the Gemara says, obviously, the better way is for a person to wear, to seek out to do a mitzvah, therefore he should get himself a garment and he should put on the tzitzis. But you won't be taken to task, you definitely won't be punished for not doing that. But in a time when it's judgment anyways, a person can be called out even for a lack of a minute little element. Therefore, these students of Rabbi Akiva died. What, what, was, what did the, the Satan, what did the prosecutor up there bring up in order to allow for the magefa that was going on, that for, for this... For this magefa to take a hold of them, for this, for this uh, a plague to hit them, which was not evoked because of this, was happening anyways, because of the judgment. And because, but the reason they weren't, they didn't, the bottom line that you, there has to be some justification for, for chas v'shalom, a person's <coughs> demise earlier in their life and so on and so forth, before their time comes. So they were then, what was he held against them was because they were lacking in covenant well with each other. But it happened in this period of time because of the intensity of the time and the eye and horror which was involved with them being 24,000 students. So now is where we really need to understand what was their blemish. And here is where I believe very, very strongly where the lesson lies to all of us today. And why is it that this blemish was so, is not considered a major offense? It's only minor. And it, it took certain circumstances to, God forbid, stir it up and they can be punished for it. 
So the idea is as follows. And the essential thing that we say that the students, and, 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 and again, we're going to connect it to Achremos, to the parsha that we're in right now. On the essential idea that we're saying that the students of Rabbi Akiva did not get along with each other, the question is obviously a big question. <coughs> How can it be? I mean, these are students of Rabbi Akiva. These are, again, and after Rabbi Akiva would pass on, or even during his lifetime, these would become the next generation of Tanoim and Amarayim, the sages of the Talmud. In the end, they're not, because... I guess we don't even know who they were, and they passed away, and their teachings did not continue, and that the further teachings of the next generations were coming from the next few, the few students surviving, or the new students, Rabbi Akiva changed, and he started teaching in the south. The first teachings were happening in the north, and then Rabbi Akiva went to the south um, to teach. Actually, one of the reasons he switched locations is because of the mentioned the idea that we just mentioned now. The north is a place of more judgments. The Pasuk says, Mitzafayim ti Pasachara. From the north, nor north is the side of Gevura. All trouble begins in the north. The south is the side of Chesed. So Yekiva realized what has happened, that there has been some kind of a negativity related to Dinim with judgments. He left the north and he went to the south to a place where there's much more Chesed and over there he started rebuilding. But how can it be that these great giants of giants were, were, were negligent or were in violation of the simplest, simple thing that we all know, respect another person and love your fellow Jew. Especially when we understand and we appreciate that not only are they great sages on, on their own behalf, they're students of Rabbi Akiva. A student means he absorbs his teacher's teaching and his teacher's message. What his teacher is all about becomes ingrained in the student. So the famous teaching of Rabbi Akiva is, which he says in Parshas Kedosh, this week in the parsha, love your fellow as yourself. Rabbi Akiva is the one who announces, Zeklal Gadol is a great principle in Torah. A great principle in Torah means that every subject in Torah, every part of Torah, is related to Abbas Yisrael, to love a fellow Jew. So if in Rabbi Akiva, that means that Rabbi Akiva taught us in everything. This was like, it wasn't like once in a while by Shalashudis, Rabbi Akiva shared with them uh, an inspiration for Avas Yisrael. Rabbi Akiva had to, this was oozing from all the teachings of Rabbi Akiva because by him this is the principle on which he, under, through the lens of Avas Yisrael, he understands the whole Torah. And these are his students. So how in the world, if they're in, taking what Rabbi Akiva in and internalizing it, how are they so, how is it that they missed it? Doesn't make any sense. And the way the Rebbe puts it, if they're called Talmidim Rabbi Akiva, if Torah's Emes says they're Talmidim Rabbi Akiva, if the tr Torah, which is true, says they're students of Rabbi Akiva, it means they're really students of Rabbi Akiva. And the answer to that is, that there's precisely three attributes about Rabbi Akiva that made them act this way. In other words, they did not have this problem despite the fact that they were students of Rabbi Akiva. 
It was precisely because they were students of Rabbi Akiva that they, that they, were, that they were challenged with this challenge and <coughs> they, they, they messed up with this because of Rabbi Akiva. Hold it, so it's Rabbi Akiva's fault. They got Rabbi Akiva on many levels, but they didn't get Rabbi Akiva in the deepest point. In other words, Rabbi Akiva is the source of the problem, and it's chachas v'shalim, but Rabbi Akiva is the solution. And if you really, really, really connect to Rabbi Akiva, at the deepest point of Rabbi Akiva, then, 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 then you can resolve it. But if you remain, if you're a student of Rabbi Akiva, and you go 99%, but you don't take the full 100%, then it's Rabbi Akiva itself that can, God forbid, put you in danger. And what is that? So we begin as follows. They didn't respect or honor each other. It wasn't because they were jealous of each other and so on and so forth. Again, these are people whose one thing in their life is important to them. Studying Torah and worshiping God. These are students of Rabbi Akiva. These are people that are totally beyond the material world, totally beyond the silliness of honor and, and all that is ridiculous. They want one thing, to serve Hashem to their best of their abilities. That's who they are. And they have a guide and a mentor, and that's Rabbi Akiva. Teaches them Torah and teaches them as Haderech Hashan Yel the way in which they will connect to God. But here is the reality. The reality is that you can have 10 students learning from the same teacher, and, and each one of them will come out with different lessons and different understandings, even though they are repeating the same class. Because a person's teachings... Because people's minds are different. And because there are different nuances in someone's teachings, so depending on what, the way you think, the character of your mind, the, the nature of your thinking, the nature of the, nature of the, the and, and even deeper than that, it really is rooted in the characteristics of a person's neshama, of how the chemistry of your soul, and therefore your perception, so you perceive and understand in accordance to as things, as the light, Rabbi Akiva is emanating a powerful light, but as that light is filtering into your window, it's filtering in through your window, into your, into your mind and into your heart, it's taking a shape and a form in accordance to the person's understanding. The Gemara puts it this way, no two people are the same. Just like you have no two people that have the same facial features, it's amazing how one God can create so many different faces, but just working with a nose, cheeks, two ears, <coughs> a chin, a forehead, two eyes, eyebrows. I mean, obviously, there's quite a lot going on in a person's face, but how many? A hundred, a thousand, ten thousand. And yet there are no two people ever that are perfectly the same. Everybody's got a different face. And just like God likes... He enjoys his art of making so many different faces. Hashem enjoys so many different perceptions and different minds, different forms of understanding. 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva, 24 different opinions. Like you say, with Jews, three Jews, three opinions. Everybody's got a different opinion or even more than three Students of Rabbi Akiva, brilliant minds, brilliant thinkers, each one of them. 
perceives, understands, thinks differently. And we're not talking about you know, different opinions regarding sports or different opinions regarding the weather or different opinions regarding politics. Which even on these things you see how, div how divisive that can be when you have different opinions. We're talking about the way to connect to Hashem, the way to serve, and the way Rabbi Akiva is teaching. Can everybody wants to do what Rabbi Akiva teaches. But yet Rabbi Akiva's teaching is understood differently by all these people. So one of them senses in Rabbi Akiva more the passion, the fire, the fervor. The other one senses more Rabbi Akiva's awe, trembling in awe in front of God. And he, that's dominating in Rabbi Akiva's teachings. And therefore when he serves Hashem, he's serving Hashem with such gevura, with such fear and awe. And the other student feels Rabbi Akiva's burning fire for God. Vahafta, Rabbi Akiva says, I'm all my life, I want to die. I wanted to, I wanted to, to give my life up, Al-Kiddushim. This one feels only that passion and only that fire. And the other one sees Rabbi Akiva's sensitivity to every human being and even to a tiny little fly. And that becomes the overwhelming, powerful message. And everything he learns from Rabbi Akiva, he sees it from, like we said earlier, Zeklau Godlo Avas Yisrael. That's what he sees. And that's what he feels. And that makes, that's his reality. And they're all real. And they're all there in the multifaceted, multicolored teachings of Rabbi Akiva. It's all there. Behiskalalus. Because it's Torah, which is coming from Hashem Echod, from the singular God, but that singular God is the source of all the multiplicity and all the various different approaches. It's all coming from all different angles from that same truth. But they all perceived it differently. And again, since we're dealing with serving Hashem, it becomes something that you're very passionate and very fired up about. And when people don't perceive things the way you perceive it, and they are serving God, and you can sense and see that they're not loving Hashem, his guy is trembling in fear, but he doesn't love God, he says to himself, you're such a loser. I mean, you're just not getting it. Don't you see the love is next? Another one says, don't you, how dare you love? Don't you feel the over overwhelming power of God's might? Who do you think you are to step close with love? You should be trembling in fear. Stand back like the Jews by the giving of the Torah. You're totally not getting it. And the other says, you both are wrong. You're busy with, 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 with the getting close to Hashem through just loving or fearing God. You're supposed to love another person and only that's how you connect. And of course, they studied and they learned, but their general walk away, or, or we could put away, take away was different. And when you feel that and when you sense that and you're passionate about it, they started getting uncomfortable with each other. Okay, this can be with any teacher. This is not only Rabbi Akiva. This could have happened to Rabbi Yechanan ben Zakkai's students. You actually see it in Pirkei Yavis. Rabbi Yechanan ben Zakkai had five students. He told each one of them, go figure out a way. To, that's the best way. And each one of them comes with a different with a different idea because their minds are different. Even though they're all the same source, learning from Rabbi Yechelem. They studied Rabbi Yechelem already, you know, 20 years. They should have had the same way of thinking. No, each one came back with a different idea. They're different. People's minds are different. So why Dafka Rabbi Akiva? So here's where the Rebbe says three things. Number one, Rabbi Akiva is the one who teaches love your fellow. Love your fellow means I care about you. If I care about you, I want to share with you. I want to share with you, and I don't want to share with you, I'm concerned about you. 
So it's possible sometimes you have people, okay, I'm doing my thing. I came to yeshiva to learn. I need to grow. What do I care what you're doing? What do I care about you? I'm learning. I'm, the, I'm connecting. I'm, I'm not even, I don't even look over my shoulder to see how you're perceiving and how you're doing because I don't care about you. But when you have a teacher who hammers in to his students, so they had, again, even though I said they're all different, but they did hear it from Rabbi Akiva. You have to love your fellow, so you have to be concerned about the other. So they truly cared about each other. And because they cared, they, they, they reached out, they, 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 they investigated, they, they, uh, they, were, they, they were tapping into the energies, the, the approaches of their fellows, their friends. And they realized that their friends are not on the same page with them. So what do you do? You try to explain it to him. Because you feel the person is going wrong. If you care, if, 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 if you're concerned, if the other person is important to you and you realize that the person is not getting it, you want to explain it to them. You want to teach them. And when you're explaining to them, they start telling you that you're wrong and they're right. So then... Not, not a matter of personal offense, you get even more upset because you, you're just totally not getting it. And then it starts becoming more of a, an argument. And then it reaches a point, okay, so I'm leaving with what? With a very strong sense that I'm right, the other person is wrong. Let's say we, we did argue it, but being that again, as we said before, we won't always see things the same because our minds are different. So they, You reach a point, they reached a point where they had very, very, very deep frustration and as a result of that, disrespect for the other. Because how can I respect, how can I respect you if in what's the most important element in life, and that is the service of God, you are totally wrong. Now, you might argue, and you might say, that's not a reason to disrespect. You can still behave with respect towards each other. You could be, okay, I understand. Your importance in my eyes has been diminished. Because, I mean, if your life is about serving God and you're totally wrong, you're fundamentally wrong, how can I, how can I look at you and say, wow, I, I honor you and I respect you and wow, when you're totally off. So my respect for you goes that, but we can argue and say, I don't have to behave that way. I can still be nice and be gentle and be kind. And Rebbe Kiva students were nice and they were gentle. They wasn't that. But we can still behave in a way of, or act in a way of showing the extra respect that was necessary, even if I don't feel that way. So here comes the second dilemma that the students got because they were Rebbe Akiva students. Rabbi Akiva is the epitome of truth. How do we know that? In the word Akiva is the same letters as Yaakov. Rabbi Akiva, according to the Arizal, was a Gilgal. He was a reincarnation of Yaakov's soul. In the Pasuk it says, Midei Abir Yaakov, from the hands of the mighty one of Yaakov. It's either a Pasuk in Vezoi Sabracha, or a pasuk, I think it's a Vezai Sabracha, Abir Yaakov, in the hands of the mighty ones of Yaakov, spells the exact word. Abir Yaakov spells the exact words, Rebbe Akiva. There is a sefer actually from Rebbe Yaakov Abba that's called Abdabir Yaakov, right? So the word Abir Yaakov spells Rebbe Akiva. 
It's interesting, I'm just thinking, because if you look at Rabbi Yaakov Abba he's the most frightening face. It's like, the eyes are like, whoa, you think they can look at his face. He's like, he's like, he can burn you with his eyes. And, and uh, Rabbi Akiva was soon gonna see, has this intensity to him as we're gonna see, so maybe he's also related. And some kind of nitzutz of that, uh, Rabbi Akiva, or uh, just, I'm just speculating. It's interesting because they give out these pamphlets, and I always see that uh, they bring from Rabbi Abir Yaakov and Rabbi Yaakov Abachatzer. It's just, just a, a side parenthetical thought. But, anyways, Rabbi Akiva is a student. That's why the Gemara also says Rabbi Akiva used to darshan vav. He darshan vavs. We know that, um, and one more thing is Rabbi Gemara says Rabbi Akiva became wealthy from six things. Six things. They scan the number. So the predominant letter that was a number that is very strong, where Rabbi Akiva is the number six, which is strongly related to Yaakov because Yaakov is the Midas HaEmes. He's the Midah of truth. Truth, truth is the letter Vav. The, Gemara, the, the Zohar says that the letter Vav, Do Ois Emes, this is the letter of Emes. So we find Rabbi Akiva so associated with the MS, Titan MS Liakov, the letter Vav. There's different connections of Rabbi Akiva. In his name, you have, you have Yaakov. So if that's the case, Rabbi Akiva, one of his personality traits, one of the things that he exhibited and he gave over to his students was to be truthful. True means the real meaning of true, or what, I mean, true is that it's, you're not faking. So for me to behave as if I hold the world of you, I think of you that you're awesome, you're so, when in my mind I'm thinking that you're the biggest loser because you're totally not getting it, and I should pretend, be pretentious, and behave as if you're the big tzaddik and therefore honor and respect you in the way of that, they couldn't do that. They couldn't be what's called echod bepev, echod belev, to speak two mouths, to speak in a way where it's conveying as if I'm so, admi I, mean, I admire you, but in my own mind, I belittle you, I hold of you as not much. So that's the second reason why. So, again, they, they weren't mean or fought. Or, on their level, there was lacking in the showing of respect, which they should have shown for each other, but they couldn't. They couldn't because, they, again, because they're students of Rabbi Akiva, and they love Rabbi Akiva so much, and they're so... And not just to love him, they're, they love his teachings, they're, 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 they're permeated, with, and they love each other. So therefore, I care about you, and therefore, I know right where you're holding, and the fact that I'm true, these things cause the problem. And here's the last idea. I mean, obviously, we all recognize that from being a social human being that other people have other opinions and other ideas, the mind itself, a person's mind, knows that there are other ways of looking at things. So human beings, since the beginning of time, when we figured out where we have a brain and we have a mind, have been in the situation to recognize that others have different ways of thinking. So why is it that this problem, this should have been, you can ask again, this problem of not being able to tolerate the other person, another person's thinking should have not have only waited for a Okay, we might say the, the ingredients of loving the other and being a person of truth is creating, is setting them up for a, for a problem. But there has to be something else to it. This intolerance in their minds, this refusal to admit that there might be another way of being a student of Rabbi Akiva, there might be another way of looking at it, 
have to be, has to be related to one more thing. And that is another one of the lessons they took from Rabbi Akiva. And that is that Rabbi Akiva was an extremist. And what do I mean by the extremism? His service of God was all in. Rabbi Akiva was not a person who, you know, had opinions about serving Hashem, had ideas, or had a inspiration, studied, had a great knowledge and inspiration, and used that inspiration to fuel his passion and his, sorry, that inspiration drove his, his actions. Rabbi Akiva was a f- ball of fire. First of all, the sages tell us about Rabbi Akiva that when he would daven, he would start davening in one, he would begin Shimon Esra in one end of the room, and he would conclude Shimon Esra in the other end. That means his, his, his service of God was an eruption. But even deeper than that, the sages tell us that Rabbi Akiva, when they, in the end of his life, and I mentioned this earlier, when he was about to pass away, I'm sorry, when, they, when the Romans were, were uh, sentenced to death, they killed him in a torturous, most brutal way. They were combing his flesh with iron combs. And Rabbi Akiva was saying the Shema. And he was beaming with light and with delight. And a student said to him, like, Atkan, and he said, all my life, I've been, meaning up to this point, I mean, don't you, aren't you in agony? How is it that you're, he says, all my life I've been waiting for the opportunity to die for the sanctification of God's name. That means that you're talking about a human being whose entire being, there isn't a space in his soul that is not burning with a fire for God. If, the, if Rabbi Akiva would have retained a tiny little bit of private space, that he can call, this is my space where God is not. It's not permeated with my fervor, my excitement, my attachment to Hashem. This is my own little space, Then that, meaning there is an identity of, of separateness of Rabbi Akiva, then he would have been miserable at that moment, say, good, I've given everything, but not to the point where they're ripping me, they're tearing my flesh apart. And yet, because there was nothing of Rabbi Akiva. His entire being was consumed with God. And if, for, if this is a sanctification for God's name, we, that's a whole subject on our own, why it's a sanctification. But if this is a sanctification for God's name, that I can give my life up for Hashem, meaning, well, I'm asking because this is in the sense the opposite, that a tzaddik is being murdered in such a horrible way. But the fact that we know Hashem so deeply that we're willing to do anything for Him and even to die and even to suffer the worst kind of suffering on His behalf. And Riyakiva realizes that He's doing this that He's been waiting for and this is, this is making the biggest yiskada of the yiskada Shemei Rabbah. The sang- that this is exciting Him to the point that He's only feeling pleasure right now. Which is telling you, which basically, and He says it's not just now. Now you're seeing it. Now we got a glimpse of what's going on in Rabbi Akiva's soul his entire life. He's consumed with his passion, with his fire. That means that his avoda was an avoda Masiras Nefesh, Masiras Nefesh. Now Masiras Nefesh doesn't mean just a large dosage of devotion. Some people are devoted a little. Some people love God a little more. Some people are loaded. Some have a lot of devotion. It means that your service to Hashem, your, your connection is from a completely different place. It doesn't start with your mind. It's engaging your essence. Rabbi Akiva, his essence was one with Hashem. He was a completely attached himself to God, as I said earlier, 
There's nothing else but Hashem in his life. This is 100% his, his, his existence. When that happens, that means, that means that there's no sections. You don't have any parts in you that are separated. When your devotion, dedication to something is related and coming from your mind, you can compartmentalize. You can fill yourself with passion, but you can also leave another room and say there's space for something else. And in that space, you can think, oh, I'm serving God like this, but I'm leaving room for the non-service. And in that space, actually, it's a good thing. I can put, I can, if I meet you and you're not serving God the way I'm serving, you're also serving Hashem, but you have your own path, which I feel is wrong. But if, but, but if my service to Hashem is coming from my mind, not from my very being, but from my mind, then I can at least put you into that. Say, my, the mind says, okay, so now there's, I don't understand how, but there must be another way to serve God. And therefore, you're serving Hashem in another way, and I can facilitate that. But if the fire of my service on Hashem has literally taken on like a burning inferno and every, my entire being is like, like glowing coals. with a, So where am I going to put you? And, and where do I put space for something else? My love of, of Hashem is it's all consuming. There's no room for an, any other, other approach. That's the idea. Had they not been students of Rabbi Akiva, they would not, these students, uh, and, no, and this passion, let's not even call it passion, and this consumption, this Mesira Snafesh, this service coming from the essence, which fills, again, which is, 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 is non-compromising, which is completely all-consuming, is what the Rabbi Akiva gave over to all his 24,000 students. These were powerful, powerful, fiery, extreme fanatics in their service of God, in a very holy fanaticism. What we call shtus the Kedusha. And now we can understand. Now you have these three elements of the ingredients which we're going to create that intolerance. The fact that I care about you Avas Yisrael, the fact that I'm a person of truth, and the fact that my service to Hashem is so is so all all encompassing to the point of and, and therefore extreme. So we really can't blame these people. So how are they supposed to have the respect and the honor to someone else not being a liar? Where will they find it inside of them? Where? If there's no space in them that their service to Hashem is not occupying. So where are they supposed to put the other individual? How am I supposed to say to you, oh, I love you? I can't say that if I don't mean that. So how am I supposed to love you? If you're totally off. And if my service to Hashem is everything that it means to me. There's no... There's, you, you, you realize the problem? This is a serious problem. So how do we get around this? So let's see, how did Rabbi Akiva get around it? Rabbi Akiva had 24,000, so he loved them all. Okay. Well, for that, we go to this week's parasha. Because in this week's parasha, we have the story of the two sons of Aaron, where it says that two sons of Aaron, two sons of Aaron passed away when they got close to God. The Arachayim HaKadosh explains... And Nadav and Aviyu were caught up in this kind of, an, of service to God, 
and where their souls went ablaze with fervor and passion and fire to cleave and to connect to God, and they just got sucked up in God's life and light. This intense eruption of soul that Rabbi Akiva served Hashem with was the two sons of Aaron. This week's Torah portion warns us that we shouldn't do that. Don't follow in the ways of Nadavavi. It's considered a sin what they did. Because a person has to be able to, even at the point of all consumption, even at the point of complete melting into the divine truth, you have to be able to stop, turn around, return back to your body, return back to this world, return back to daily living. But how can one do that? And again, the problem that I'm talking about by Nodav and Aviyu is in a different setting than what I'm talking about over here. But it's the same, the root of it is the same problem. It's where there is extremism, and there is supposed to be extremism, because the service of God that's coming from your very soul, from your very being, leaves no room for anything else. Like when a person, God forbid, has a situation where the dearest person in their life is in danger. God forbid they have a child that's, you know, been been kidnapped and they have a, a, you know, the people looking for ransom telling them that within the two hours if they don't come up with $30 billion, million they're going to shoot the kid, oh God forbid. Can you imagine that in those two hours, even if the parents didn't eat, have lunch or even if they didn't eat breakfast, they didn't even eat yesterday, dinner, breakfast, and lunch, they're not thinking about lunch, even though usually lunch is very important to them. The answer is when you're dealing with biases, there's no room for anything else. And here's the question. When you're burning at a point where your essence is melting into God, how do you stop yourself? The same problem over here. If you're so consumed with your service of Hashem and that's your entire being, how do you make room for someone else where... So the Talmud says there were four, four great rabbis and these four great rabbis went into the Pardes to explore the deeper secrets of existence. Ben Zoyma, Ben Azai, and Rabbi Akiva and Alisha Ben Avua, later known as Acher. Three of them got injured. One died, one went crazy. And the other one became an apostate. Rabbi Akiva went in in peace and came out in peace. Nichnas b'shalim v'yatsa b'shalim. He was the only one, Rabbi Akiva, was able to go in and then... So what happened to Rabbi Akiva? So it's explained. When Rabbi Akiva got very close to God, he stopped. While the others got like sucked up in it, Rabbi Akiva stopped. Ben Azai died. He just. What gave Rabbi Akiva the ability to hit on the slam on the brakes? Because at that moment, Rabbi Akiva heard and sensed a stronger voice than his own voice. A a counter power to his burning. He's burning. There's no room for anything else but that burning, all consuming. But yet, a space opens up in his soul. And in that space, God enters. And he hears God saying, Akiva, if you die, what's going to be with your 24,000 students? Akiva, what's going to be with the world that you're going to leave behind, abandoned, dark, because you are in ecstasy and 
just melted into my into bliss and, and, and you're in Gan Eden and you're up here but what's going to be with all the people that you need to teach and you need to illuminate and Rabbi Akiva's instinctive self is saying don't bother me don't bother me I'm at the point of, of what I've been burning for my whole life all I wanted was the sweetness all I wanted was this pleasure this delight. all I want is to cease to exist as a human being and become part of your infinite truth But God's truth and God's desire that God wants him in this world, that's your desire, Akiva. That's the desire of a soul, of a finite being wanting to melt into the infinite. But what is the desire of the infinite being? That he wants to express through his finite soul. Go back down there, channel my life into ordinary daily living even though you won't be in a state of ecstasy and dissolving. You'll be in a state of darkness a little bit. You'll be a little more disconnected. But over there you'll accomplish amazing things and give me satisfaction. And that's what Nadav and Avi were missing. They didn't allow that voice to overpower them. They didn't allow God, God's desire to overwhelm their desire. And the three colleagues of Rabbi Akiva had the same problem. How is it that one tzaddik manages to hear that greater voice and surrender his, the deepest will and desire to melt in God's life and life force and the other tzaddik does not feel it and the other tzaddik does not do it, fails in it. We're dealing with the biggest tzaddikim. We're dealing with silencing the most powerful urge that anybody, that we can't even imagine what that is. Because in addition to your desire, you're being sucked with the infinite pull of a, imagine, you know, we talk about, about the gravitational pull of, 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 of the sun. The gravi- like imagine the gravitational pull of God when you come up and close. Who can resist it? And yet you have to be able to push away. How do you do that? And why is it that some can manage and others don't? The answer is, the Rebbe says, it's not Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva was not a superhero at the last moment that he was able to listen to God, silence himself and listen to God. It was because Rabbi Akiva initially, when he entered, entered, Rabbi Akiva initially, when he entered, entered not because of he wanted fulfillment for himself. He entered as a servant, as a simple servant. In other words, God, what do you want from me? That's what a Jew is all about. I'm an agent of God in this world. God, what do you want? God says, I want you to get excited about it. I want you to get to know me. I want you to get excited about it. I want you to get so excited too, you want to melt in my life. Rebbe Kiva says, Hineni. And he brings himself to the point where he's expiring because God said so. Since your initial ascent into that experience is because you're listening to God, you're very sensitive when God says, stop. Don't take another step. Turn around. Go back. If, however, you embark on this journey of ecstasy and bliss because you're curious on your own, because you this is, you feel this is going to bring you fulfillment, it's about you. When you're actually going to be at the throes of fulfillment, at the deepest moment of that passion, of that fulfillment, you will not be able to control yourself because you're so, you're, you're, you began hearing yourself, not hearing God. 
So I once heard a phenomenal story from Rabbi Manus Friedman. And I thought it was just so, it was such insight. I remember even where it was. I went to Palm Springs for a Shabbaton. And it was Shabbos, Kabbalah Shabbos, before, before, before the Chonorani gave a talk. And I was just so, the idea, this, this concept was so rich. And I connected to it very deeply in the sense of what he was saying. I don't know if he heard this or this was his own thought, but whatever it is, I'm, I just really love it. And I think this is, this is what we're talking about. He told a story that there were four, four um, um, kings that met. You know, they were some kind of a vacation spot. And uh, maybe they were in Switzerland, you know, they went for uh, skiing season. Who was there? The king of Russia. And Russia doesn't have to go to Switzerland to ski. He's got enough snow in his own place, but whatever. He went to the resort. And he met with the German Kaiser and with the French and with the English, or the English king. And they're all sitting together, and then the discussion between the four monarchs is who has more devoted subjects or more devoted soldiers? They said, and each one said, the devotion that my soldiers have to me you, you definitely is incomparable. So I said, let's put it to test. Anyways, the German Kaiser says, calls in one of his guards, and the guy walks in, and he bows, and the Kaiser says, Jump out of the window. Are we talking over here? That, you know, they're 10 flights up, they're high up. And I'm saying, without flinching, he salutes, walks over to the, one of the windows, out he goes, literally splattered. Serious snaffish. Okay. So the French king calls in his uh, soldier and tells them the exact same thing. And again, you don't see even the tiniest twitch. You don't see in him like, well, what's with my family? What's gonna be with my children? What's gonna be with my life? Out the window. The English uh, king gets the same thing out of his soldier. Finally, the Russians are, calls in the guard. And he says, Vladimir, I want you to jump out of the window. He bows and he says, Your Majesty, which window? Case was closed. You see, you can be so devoted. I'm giving my. They were taught, all these soldiers, they, for their king, you give your life. No questions about it. But it's still about yourself. It's still about yourself. I, I hear you, I, I, I want to be included in your existence to the point that my identity is you and if your honor will be expanded through me, I'm willing to do that because then I, I'm included in you but it's about me, I want. This, if, if I remain a, a soldier, then I'm a soldier, what am I? But am I, if I am the glory of the... Of the, of the king of England. I died for the country. To be able to be told that you should die and you're ready to, and at that same moment you realize it's not about you even. And even you reaching. But to be able to silence yourself and at that moment be so in tune with the, with the king to say which window 
means it's not only I'm sensing your ex- you, I'm sensing your opinion. You, you, ha- you probably have a specific window you want me. Can I do it the way you, you want it? The way you, you really want it? That means I'm touching your essence. That's the point. It's a connection all the way to the essence. The students of Rabbi Akiva were students of Rabbi Akiva. Or let me let before I before I get to that, let's let's let me just put it this way. When we're talking about Mesiris Nafish, we know that Mesiris Nafish comes from the deepest, the deepest point in a Yid's Neshama. So it says in the Yid's Neshama there is five levels. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chai, Yechida. Mesiris Nefesh comes from the Yechida, the point where we're one with God. But the Arizal says, what's Yechida? It's a Nitzutz Nivra, Shemeslabesh boy Nitzutz Boire. It's a spark of a creation. It's your soul. But within it is the spark of the Creator. So Mesiris Nefesh like Nodav and Avihudu, expiring. Mesiris Nefesh, like the three colleagues of Rabbi Akiva did, going in and in and not stopping. Mesiris Nefesh, that kind of Mesiris Nefesh comes from the Yechida. The point in me, I have no other interest but, but, but to serve you, but it's still me. When the, when the Nitzutz Boire is activated, you don't hear yourself, you only hear what he wants. It's, it's God speaking, not you. It's the spark of God that's in you, but it's him, it's not you. So what does he want? Which window? Doesn't that, the, the drama of me jumping, even that is nothing. It's which window? That's it. From God's perspective, when God created a world with multitudes of people, Hashem created a world with you know, seven to eight billion people today, right? And he made everybody with a different mind. What does God want? He wants seven and a half billion ways of attachment to him. Seven and a half different ways of connecting to him. Each one in their own, with their own talent, with their own minds, with their own thinking patterns, with their own unique ways. Not in one way, or else he wouldn't make so many different people. He'd make one Adam, one Adam Arishan, and that's it. God made... One Adam to show us that he only that to each to him every single one is the whole world, but yet he created seven million. He wants every single different capacity and every single way of serving him. God's oneness includes all these truths. Obviously, we're talking if it's true and a real path to serve Hashem. When Mashiach will come and God will be known in the whole world, all of humanity will serve Him. They won't be. They won't conform. They won't be uniform service. Each one, yes, there will be one God serving, and there's certain pathways to Hashem. But everyone in their own, in with their own understanding of it. If you're hearing yourself, even if it's your yechida, and precisely because it's yechida, doesn't leave room for anybody else. But if it's not the yechida, it's the yachid that's in the yechida. It's this point of the Ebershter that's in you. Then guess what? I know 
And as much as I am concerned, there is no other way to serve Hashem but the way I'm serving. And that's what has to fill me. Because if it's not filling me, it means it's not, it's, not, it's not coming from my essence. So it has to fill my every facet of my being. And I'm passionate, and I'm fervent, and I'm so excited. And this is the only way. Yet if I feel God wants to be served, not that I am serving, but that God wants to be served, I have perfectly comfortable that God has I don't understand how, but so many ways of being of, of serving him, and that person is serving him, and that person is serving him, and that person is serving him, and each one is bringing a different kind of pleasure and delight to Hashem, and therefore I love them all and I respect them all, and let's all dance together because all of us together are, you know, even though I know that it, I can't even fathom how there's another way to serve Hashem but the way I am doing it. That's called Olam HaTikun, the world of Tikun. The world of Tikun is where there is Bittal, and where there is Bittal, you don't hear yourself, you hear the objective desire of God, and then the impossible is possible. The, what's the impossible? I am convinced my way is right, because if I'm iffy, then I'm not going to do it wholeheartedly. I'm convinced that this is the only way to serve God, and yet, I know, even though it's beyond my understanding, you're also serving Hashem, and you're also serving Hashem. Judaism has different styles and different ways, and this is the bottom line. So just because I'm a chassid, and I believe chassidus is the way, and everybody has to learn, that doesn't mean that just because that other people who are not doing that are wrong. I, again, I can't conceive it. And I'm supposed to try to teach chassidus to everybody. And I'm supposed to try to convince everybody to learn Hasidus because this, and I'm told that I'm supposed to do that. Look, Mashiach will come, and the way of serving Hashem is dafke through pnimi But that does not mean in any way that people that are for, not, are not serving God. I it doesn't make it again because everybody and here's 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 the here's the catch because everybody that learned this from the day this was said from way back then, everybody that learns it when it comes to their own little thing, comes to the same conclusion, that what? Eh, it's not, eh, it's not in this case, because in this case they're really wrong. But whoever doesn't agree with me is really wrong. Yeah, that's exactly what everybody felt. And, and, and it's true. They're really wrong. In your world, they're really wrong. In your space, you're not God. In your space, they're really wrong. Based on the makeup of your neshama, they're really wrong. But as long as I'm existing within my own space, then, then, then I have to negate them. But if I'm existing in God's space, God tolerates them all. That's the difference. Are you existing in the Abishter space or you're existing in your space? If you're existing in your space, head-on collision. So it has to mean for each and every one of us, we must make room for everybody. And if we're all Hasidim, and we have different approaches of what Hasidim need to do, that, that's for Hasidim. I'm talking about for Hasidim and Misnagdim and Hasidim and, and, and Svardim and Ashkenazim and this type of Jew, Mizrahi and Satmer and Kanoyim and it. The multifaceted ways of the way Jews are serving God. Bottom line, it's one Jewish people. And this does not mean, and that's what I'm saying, it's not mean, okay, that means everything is good, everything is wonderful, it's just, uh, we're talking about something very deep. We're talking about the appreciation of what you're doing is the only way because I'm, I'm talking about if 
you're fighting for something real and intense and, and meaningful and you're really living it and you, could, and you should want to teach it to others and it's okay to share it and it's okay to even have an argument but as long as my conclusion is not a dismissal of you you hold differently for whatever reason I don't understand God gets pleasure and delight from your service even though it's different than mine that's the secret so when we're dealing with COVID-19, going back to the beginning, it's not chas v'shalom, punishments, this, that. But bottom line, when we have in Sphere of a situation where people have been dying and we need to fix the problem, so to help us out, <coughs> to end the magefa, an increase in Avas Yisrael will not hurt, and this is the remedy. The remedy is more bittal. The remedy is <coughs> deeper connection a deeper identification, a deeper oneness. And Baruch Hashem, that's been happening. Baruch Hashem, that's been happening. It's interesting that Lag Boimer, which is the day they stopped dying, everything about Lag Boimer, I spoke about it last year in a class that I gave for Lag Boimer from the Babach Rebbe's father is, is number three. Lamed Gimel, it's three and tens, Gimel. Because number three is the number of tikkun, it's the number of harmony, it's the number of taking opposites and bringing it together through the power of Teferis, which the power of Teferis is the power of Yaakov, which the power of Yaakov is the power of Rabbi Akiva, which is what we celebrate on, on Lag Boimer, going all the way, all the way up to the root of root of root of essence. We find that by Rabbi Shimon is the day of Lag Boimer, the Rebbe says as well. Shimon Bayachayu was the epitome of 13 years he was in a cave. That means he reached the highest levels of disconnecting from the world, being in a world of total unity, only God, nothing else exists. And yet when he came out of the thing, what did he do? What did he do when he came out? Wherever his son was burning because he wasn't tolerating, which is an idea of rutsai, destruction, he healed it. He was putting out those fires. He was bringing healing. He realized there's a world God wants. I mean, so this, this is the whole Nakud over here. There is passion, there is fire, there is... But the Abishter loves his world. And the world is a world of multiplicity. And in that multiplicity, extremism will burn. So I have to figure out a way how to... I have a burning, like Rabbi Kiva, I have a burning fire. But to the outside, I can't be such an extremist. I need to tolerate. I can be inward, very extreme. Outward, and when I say outward, I don't mean only in behavior, because then again, you're not being true. Truthfully, I can find and recognize that God desires a world, a colorful world, and in that colorful world, He wants to manifest His oneness. And that's my tolerance. My tolerance is God's tolerance for it. It's incredible. That, that state of oneness is where we're heading to in the days of Mashiach, and we can start doing that now. This will definitely help us in the tikkun of all, everything that needs to be nisakin, and we'll experience the geula amitis vashlema. May it be now 
now and now. Sure. 